Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk about deliverance ministry and domestic abuse. Now, I know for some of my listeners, that might seem like a peculiar topic. For many of us, those of us that are kind of uh, your standard, modern, you know, evangelical believers, deliverance ministry has somewhat uh, been relegated to the idea of only the demonic, or in particular, rescuing or delivering individuals from demonic possession or uh, demonic oppression. Now, you may be asking, Chris, why in the world are you bringing this up today? Well, I'm bringing it up because uh, there are several folks who are currently following us and currently um, involved in destructive relationships. They are victims or abusers who have sought or are seeking help from a variety within the spectrum, I should say, of deliverance ministries. And the questions have come in about the helpfulness of such ministries and maybe how to view deliverance. And it comes up because, as you know, I do not shy away from using the term demonic uh, in my material. I actually do call domestic abuse a demonic distortion. I actually give um, that um, voice... And so I think when some people hear me say that, they may think I'm speaking of direct demonic influence. And so I just want to talk a little bit about uh, what I talk about, what I mean when I say deliverance, what I mean when I say demonic, and then the realities of the supernatural when it comes to this. I think uh, we are spiritual beings, and domestic abuse as sin is a very specific, very unique aspect of sin, and it does... Um, it, it is reasonable, I should say, that we as believers talk about the unique and specific nature of abuse as it relates to um, the demonic, the, to spiritual warfare, and also in, in many ways to ground it in reality. Because I know for some of us, let's be honest, we hear terms like deliverance, demonic, supernatural, and we think of some of the over-the-top expressions of our faith that we've seen. And for some of us, we'll be turned off by that. That it is, it is not, when I talk about deliverance, I'm not speaking of some uh, shaman or powerful preacher or individual who summons in a correct order some formulaic response that then removes demonic possession from an abuser. That's not my goal or most ministers' goal. But when I talk about deliverance, I, I am speaking in very specific terms that abusive people who have habitually, continually uh, used their power to control another person are being influenced and are practicing what I would call something that is anti-Christ. It runs in stark contrast to who, in our world as Christians, individuals claim to be. 
So what do we call that? I mean, do we call it um, less than loving? Do we call it in process? Do we call it immature? Um, some people do, but I, I think as we're dealing with aspects of abuse and violence, there are more stern, more harsh terms. And I think terms like wicked, worldly, and demonic are not out of reach. In fact, I think they are much more applicable when we're talking about this chronic habitual use of violence and abuse than some of the more passive language that I think we like to use uh, because we want to, I think, and again, I think this is a worldly argument, we want to somewhat side with the kingdom of the world that people aren't really that bad, that somehow this has been blown out of proportion, that um, abuse and violence we're just getting a portion of the picture. We need to get the whole story. And I think I would say I want to be much more resolute in what I'm saying when uh, someone, a man in particular, uses the power that he's been given either through um, creative means, being bigger, faster, stronger, or through societal means, position, power, and authority to dominate, demean, or destroy his partner then I don't know what else we would call that than demonic or wicked or um, worldly. Now, I bring that up because sometimes folks hear me say that um, and they may assume then that the remedy or the desired remedy is to cast out the demon, to speak to the oppression, and to be relieved of that spiritual bondage. And I think... Well, I, I do think that that does occur. Did, did you catch that? I actually do think that we practice spiritual warfare, and there is such a thing as the one-step process where Jesus delivers people from their sin. It is not the norm. In work of sanctification and confrontation and repentance, the one-stop, zap-from-heaven uh, deliverance approach is not recommended. And I'll tell you why for a few reasons. And I don't think that robs us of the term deliverance. I think we can practice deliverance and redemption and freedom from bondage for individuals who are victims of abuse and people who are practicing abuse. But it is not some lightning from heaven immediate response. In fact, the scripture recommends against that. So let me talk to you a little bit about um about this this idea. I, I, I first encountered this, I was working with some some friends on addiction uh, ministry. And as you may know, where I live is considered by many the opioid capital of the world. We have a major uh, heroin problem in this area of West Virginia. And there are some within the Christian world that wanted to establish programs. Many of us were involved in the establishment of programs. Uh, my vote, uh, as it were, my goal was to see us establish discipleship-oriented programs. There were others who wanted to establish 12-step uh, programs, and then there were others who wanted to establish one-step programs. And the one-steppers really wanted us to pray over addicts and believe for their deliverance. And again, I don't mean to make light of that, as if that does not happen. It has happened. However, to assume that that's the natural route of sanctification and redemption, I think is a bit naive and dangerous. We should, however, assume that people are different, the Holy Spirit's dealing with them is different, and we should be prepared 
to uh, examine the fruit of their life, especially in areas in which they're harming others. So transition to domestic abuse in the same way to say, you know, our approach is to only lay hands and pray on someone, or our approach is only to rely on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, I think is dangerous because part of our role as believers is not simply to act in a moment to provide an instant, an, uh, an event or a instance of change, but to provide an ongoing avenue of change. One example of that would be Galatians chapter 6. I want you to think about the dynamics here of confrontational ministry. If anyone's caught in a sin, this would be very indicative to what we do, right? If anyone's caught in a sin, well, absolutely. Someone claims to be a believer, and yet they are practicing acts of abuse and violence. You who are spiritual, the passage says, those are those who are mature, right, should restore such a one. Restoration is not a given. It is a calling. So we are called to go to the person and attempt to restore them. Restore them to what, you may ask? Well, I think if you're practicing abuse and violence, the restoration is to God, right, not to your partner, because your abuse and violence is in direct violation of the will of God, the heart of God, and it's an attack on the image of God. So you are spiritual restorer, such a one, in gentleness. Be careful not to be drawn into the same behavior that they practice. So we're not to bully them or berate them or use power against them. We're to, in winsome gentleness, draw them to repentance, right, or release them to their consequences. Because Paul goes on to say, God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. So this idea of deliverance is a much more intensive process when it comes to abuse than, say, just a one-stop shop. And think about it. If, if I were to, and I do believe in the supernatural, and I do believe in the demonic influence, and I'll explain that in a moment, but if my response to that was to simply lay hands, cast out a demon, then an abuser would more than likely willingly jump into that. That would be a very... Um, uh, acceptable means, I should say, acceptable means for the abuser. Think about it. I have to go to a service. Pastor Chris is going to lay hands on me, declare me free from some demonic influence, and then I can go about my way? Absolutely. As opposed to the prescription of the Bible for sinful individuals, which is direct confrontation, accountability, right, calls to repentance, and then the acceptance and issue of consequences. Which would you take if you were confronted uh, and uh, given the offer of deliverance? Would you take the one-stop shop, or would you take the long, arduous journey? Now, granted, please don't hear me say that prayers for the sick and prayers for the oppressed are not important. They are important. I know our church practices James 5. When an individual is sick and he calls on the elders of the church, we anoint them with oil and pray the prayer of faith. We believe for people's physical healing. I practice aspects of deliverance and love to see instantaneous results. However, the biblical model is much more about the long game than the short gratification. And in particular, with relational issues, destructive behavior, sinful behavior, abuse, and violence, there seems to be very little evidence that instantaneous deliverance is a standalone remedy. 
even the aspect of the demoniac in which Jesus heals a man who is uh, practicing self-harm and intimidating and scaring citizens because he was demon-possessed, as you may recall, the, the I am legion moment. Uh, Jesus delivers him, but then what happens? The people see him sitting and learning from Jesus. It wasn't as Jesus said, well, now the demons have run into the sea, you know, go and be well. He takes time to teach the demoniac, who then becomes the first evangelist to that region. In, in much the same way, we are called not simply to call things uh, supernatural or spiritual, um, make some kind of declaration and walk away. No, we are to confront the behavior, right? Train people in righteousness post-repentance, give them an opportunity to develop the fruits of repentance and prove the transformation effective. I'm hoping that this is making sense as as I think about about what I'm saying. I, I don't want, again, to disparage my friends who have a certain theological persuasion. I just want to, I think, to invite you to a more robust response. I also don't want to somehow justify my friends of another uh, theological persuasion who may be guilty of behavior modification or Phariseeism. It's not simply about, I can do better. There has to be an element of the Spirit's power. In the same regard, it's not just about the the presence of the Spirit's power, but there has to be truth. Recall Jesus' words in John chapter 4 to the Samaritan woman, right? Worshippers, true worshippers, will worship in spirit and in truth. There is a balance in which we are trying to strike. Now, when I say the word demonic, let's get back to that, because I do have a lot of questions about, well, Chris, you use uh, demonic language when you're talking about people. To me, it's much the same way and and much of the same argument that biblical biblical counselors often face in our use of the word sin. Uh, If you're a biblical counselor, you probably know that we get pushback quite a bit because people will say, well, you think everything is sin. And usually that accusation means this. It means, well, you think everyone's problem is related to their personal sin. The other side of the coin is biblical counselors, people will say, you think everything is sin. And biblical counselors have to say, in a way, yes, sin is a part of all of our struggle. But rather than us saying that every personal problem is a result of personal sin, we would say that, no, it it may not be this individual's personal sin that's creating the problem. But we have to acknowledge the extent and the pervasiveness of sin whether it's personal sin, whether it's ways in which others have sinned against us, which is very harmful, especially in our work when you consider domestic abuse and sexual assault, sin is still at the heart another person's sinning against us. But then we also have to uh, encounter two other aspects. One is the noetic effect of sin, that all of us are tainted and corrupted by the fall. It affects the way that we think, that we logic, and that we relate. But then also the overarching general concept of the fall of man, that we live in a fallen world. So when biblical counselors get accused of focusing on sin, there's some truth there. Sin's inescapable. It's a part of all of our stories. The difference is we're not saying that your personal sin caused your personal struggle, but we have to talk about sin at some point. In much the same way, when I use the word demonic, I'm not saying that abusers are possessed by demons or trauma survivors are demonically possessed. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, 
Uh, but what I am saying is we have to acknowledge that the influence of the world, the philosophy of the world, of which we are told um, is demonic, is influencing the ways in which people behave. I want you to contrast uh, that idea with Matthew 20 and Mark 10 for a second. Jesus very poignantly says in regards to the ways in which his followers use power, he said the rulers of the Gentiles use power over. The kingdom of the world uses power to crush, and it cannot be this way among you. You're either using power in a kingdom of God type of way that builds others up, or a kingdom of the world type of way that's bringing others down. I think it's fair to say that misogyny, sexism, uh, rapacious behavior, uh, the powerful being let off the hook, like impunity for violent acts, I think it's fair to say that that's antichrist. What other word could we use for that? I choose to use the word demonic. That the influence and the oppression in the spiritual realm is affecting the kingdom of the world. And people need freedom from that. Does that mean that we're casting out demons? No, not necessarily. Does it mean we're introducing them to Jesus? Absolutely. And that's really the point when we talk about deliverance. What are we being delivered from? Well, I would suggest many of the people that we're talking about, abusers and victims, are being delivered from a worldview. A worldview that's influenced primarily by something other than Jesus. A worldview that's been developed in the kingdom of the world. And we do need deliverance from that. And there is a supernatural component to that. The Spirit teaches us the things of Christ. Yes, we need the church. Yes, we need the scriptures. This is all like marble cake. It all flows together. Uh, but people do need freedom from bondage, strongholds, as we're told in, uh, what is it, 2 Corinthians 10. So we do need deliverance. But is deliverance the one-stop shot, the one shot in the arm, the zap from heaven? Very rarely. Uh, but the power of the Spirit needs to be present. That's why uh, we often talk about the idea of progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification is the theological concept that um, we come to know Jesus and then we progressively grow in holiness. None of us ever arrive. We are always in process. But there are moments in that journey, I believe, that we need delivered, freed from bondage. And I would correlate that with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Think about it. If progressive sanctification is only post-salvific in that, you know, now that now that I'm a Christian, I've got to pull myself up by my bootstraps and work really hard to make myself holy. That doesn't seem at all like Jesus, does it? But what if progressive sanctification was post-salvation? I now have the power through the presence of the Spirit to see incremental change as I grow and become more mature in Christ. The Spirit gives me power, I change. The Spirit gives me power, I change. Um, moving closer and closer to holiness. So in that regard, we're all being delivered. We were delivered from the penalty of sin. We no longer have to go to hell. We will be delivered someday from the very presence of sin. And in the middle, in the struggle, in the journey of life through the power of the presence of the Spirit, we're being delivered from sin's power step by step, by step. That's why when people claim repentance, we take the time and the effort 
to test the fruit of this of repentance, especially when it comes to aspects of abuse and violence where cheap repentance, fake repentance, or attempts to manipulate can put people in danger. I'm going to thank you guys for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast today. I hope this was a helpful conversation. Uh, if you would like to learn more uh, about our ministry or maybe some more information uh, like what you've heard today, let me encourage you to visit chrismoles.org, chrismoles.org. And in particular, look into PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership site, and uh, it's open to new members, and we'd love to see you uh, be part of PeaceWorks University. One last thing before we close the podcast today. At the time of this recording, today is August the 10th as I'm recording this. Uh, I want to give you a heads up. Probably next uh, episode, we'll be giving you some specific dates. But the time of this recording, we are still in the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And as a result of some of the restrictions, uh, my travel schedule uh, has been interrupted. Uh, I'm not uh, speaking at conferences this year. I've been unable to travel to most of the places. And um, most of our conferences have been postponed or moved. In response to that, PeaceWorks has decided to hold our own virtual conference in September of 2020. So if you're listening to this podcast, uh, tune in next week, and we're going to be talking about the dates for that. Uh, But the goal is to have uh, PeaceWorks Live, our virtual event, uh, so that you can invite friends, pastors, church leaders to be a part of that event um, since they were not able to catch us live. We'll have more details about that on the podcast next week, so please stay tuned. Thank you guys for listening today. As always, you are appreciated. Be sure to rate and review and let us know that you're listening. And until next time, God bless.